Hello and welcome to another episode of How to Scale a Business. And we are here with Steve Lover and we're going to talk about how he was able to start and grow Blue Mountain Business Coaching. And I was doing some research. I don't know that I'd call it research there. I was looking up some background info and one of the first things that stood out to me on your LinkedIn profile was growing businesses through innovation in sales, marketing, and creating superior customer experience. I was like, wow, that's a lot there. So talk about the business, tell us how you got started, You know, catch us up a little bit on how you got started and then where you're at now. So I'll give you just my quick three minute history lesson who I am. I started actually my career as a rabbi and I served communities both in Europe and in America. And at some point my family got big enough I had to go from nonprofit to profit. I opened my first business. It was a franchise with a lot of promises and didn't really happen. Ended up with a quarter million dollars worth of debt and closed it. And an old student of mine said, you know what? You'd be great in the insurance industry. And I went in the insurance industry and he was right. I did great. Ultimately, was asked to become the trainer for the New York Life Office in southeastern Michigan. And what happened was, is after about three years of training, I, and for all intents and purposes, Insurance agents are sole proprietors. They have their own businesses. They're not employed by the company with a salary. They make money based on how much they sell. They have all kinds of expenses being housed in the business. I saw that the training was all great, but it wasn't getting things to happen. And that's when I found coaching. And we were able to make some big differences. When I first brought it up to New York Life, they said to me, we like what we're doing. So I went out on my own. Three of my early clients were guys that were wholesalers in the insurance industry. One of them went from 50 million to 100 million within the first year. One of them in his zone was number 43 out of 52, and he went to number two. And the third guy had never hit all of his bonuses by the end of December, hit them all in September. So I was doing something right. We continued on to other industries. Wow. It's so cool. I got my start in business in direct sales. It was not necessarily insurance. We're selling houseware, but you know, sales, there are a lot of similarities. And you talked about being an independent contractor and it was the first taste into running your own business, but having the support of an established system, right? And perhaps the same way that kind of a franchise would. There's two things that I'm interested to get your take on. The first is in that business that I was in, similarly, there was a lot of pushback to helping the individual's grow in a way that you were doing, right? There, you know, I had actually talked and some other people had talked about coaching with some of these, they called them representatives. And there was a lot of pushback from the organization, from the company, you know, we're doing great. We're doing great. You know, like you did, they went out and continued to do that and had some amazing success. And so it's really interesting to see them kind of shooting themselves in the foot maybe, right? By not embracing these things. So I wanted to get your take on that. I want to throw it back to you there. What was that like for you being in a place where you knew you could help people, but then you had someone saying, ah, I don't know that that's, I don't know about that. So this is a really interesting topic because this becomes a corporate problem. And the corporate problem is most businesses are set up to create mediocrity in their employees. When you have, one of the reasons I don't go to really large companies is because the minute you start having a bunch of levels of management, there's no way you can't have mediocrity. Because you have a hired CEO, you come into him and you have a great idea of things that they can happen in their company. His thought process becomes, well, how does it affect me? What's this going to do? If it doesn't work out, how's it going to affect my comp? How's it going to affect this? How's it going to affect that? And so unless it's a sure thing, he's saying no. And everybody through the company does that also. And so what happens is, is that the guys that are kept at a level of production 
that's good and healthy but not wow is a much more controllable guy than a guy that's able to take it up to way high end. And it's people that are sitting in the mediocrity for the most part that are very happy with that. Yeah, they're uncontrollable. <laughs> you yes. know, they're not. They're, yeah. Yeah. Because they have to do the things your way because they're there. But, you know, you've got a guy who's making 100 grand a year as a salesman. If he's not going to do it the way you want to do it, you can let him go. Big deal. It's not going to really affect your bottom line, especially large companies. But you got a guy that's selling two, three, four, five million dollars worth of stuff. It doesn't work like that. You know, we used to have a saying if I owe you $5,000, I have a problem. If I owe you $5 million, you have a problem. That same thing really ends up happening with the companies. That middle group that does well, but that never gets to really excel and pop it out, they do the best for the companies. Well, I'm curious to you what is the key to that evolution or that switch, right? A lot of people, they think that this is where I am in the totem pole. This is where I rank. This is how good I am. And it's kind of that static mindset. What did you find was the key to unlocking that next level of really results, right? I don't even know if it has to come through production or effort, right? But I'm curious how you get someone to go from here to there. So really, the answer to that question is really confidence. The difference between the big producers and the regular producers, how much confidence they have. That's a really interesting and juicy and deep conversation. I'm doing a lot of work with this right now, this particular topic. But most of the world understands confidence kind of backwards. And the reason I say that is because people think that they have to have confidence in order to become successful. And it really works the other way around. When you become successful, you become more confident. So each time you do something, you get a success. Each time you do something, you get a success. Your confidence grows with that. And really, it's about having the courage to go and do the things you have to do, even though you don't feel like you can do them, and find yourself succeeding. And that not only creates the confidence you need to continue to work at that level, but it also creates a confidence to try new things, to move into new areas that you wouldn't do before, because you've seen and experienced success happening when that happens. Yeah. Steve, this is hitting home for me in a variety of ways, even outside of business. And there's so much I'm going through personally that I'm like, oh, I'm so glad we had this conversation today. And I'm sure that there are going to be people who really benefit from it. I'm a very practical, pragmatic. So I'm the guy that's like, okay, but how, Steve? How do we be more confident? How do we take these next steps, right? What's the blueprint or what's the instructions? Or do you have habits or rituals or reminders? What are some of the even smaller steps that someone might take to be moving towards some of these successes? So this is, again, a really interesting question you ask me. The bottom line is confidence comes from going to a place you haven't been before. That's why when you have a success getting to someplace else, the problem is how do you get there? Because you haven't been there before, so it's a little bit scary. And the truth is, is our world has created a situation. If you want this, uh, there's an awesome book online called Stop Stealing Dreams, which is a, a little PDF written by Seth Godin. And it explains how the school system is created to make factory workers. Because our school system today was made at the end of the 1800s, and it was made to make factory workers. So they're all going to fit in the box. So a little kid comes into school, and he has an opportunity to draw. He's supposed to color a horse, and he colors it purple. And the teacher says, Marky, a purple horse? There's no such thing as a purple horse. And the rest of the class laughs at him. And he learns, I don't want to step out too much. I don't want to do the things. And what happens is we lose our nerve and we lose our courage. It's really about having courage to go try something new, even though it's uncomfortable. And probably the best definition I ever heard of courage 
was from Dan Sullivan. Dan Sullivan said, you want to know what courage is? It's when you're scared enough to wet your pants and you go do what you have to do with wet pants on. Because yeah. a lot of people think fear and courage are opposites and they're not. You only need courage when you have fear. If you don't have fear, courage has no purpose. You don't need courage when you're not fearful. When you're feeling great and watch, I don't need courage to do things I know I can do. But things I know I can't do, they're a little difficult, a little bit scary, a little bit out of my comfort zone. So those things need courage. And really, it's about creating that courage muscle and doing things that are out of your comfort zone. Yeah. And in business, you have so many opportunities to do that, especially because a lot of the people listening to the show are entrepreneurs, they're self-employed, they're self-starters, they didn't have the master's education in business. And even those people, I think, are ill-prepared for you know entrepreneurship and running their own business. I mean, now, perhaps we're being dramatic, but it can seem like a jungle to our nervous system in the sense of there is all this fear and anxiety and there's all these opportunities for quote-unquote danger that keeps someone from venturing out too far from going away from the norm. You know, that's true. I, I think one of the things that I found really interesting is the emotion of anxiety and excitement are almost exactly the same. So when you're feeling anxious and when you're feeling excited, the difference between them is just one's negative, one's positive. But the actual feeling and what the feeling comes up and what it feels like and what it means to you and how you respond to it is just a matter of your thinking. And when you start looking at those anxious moments as excitement moments instead, and you say, wow, this means there's something new for me. I have a chance to go learn. And what happens, it creates a pattern because once you do it once, you do it twice, you do it twice. The fifth time is easier than the first time. The tenth time is easier than the fifth time. And the twentieth time is easier than the tenth time. What it's all about is really just getting the system to start working. You got to be okay working the system, right? My four-year-old, we're trying to get him to be okay with fear, to be okay leaning into it. And, you know, I see it. And he doesn't want to go downstairs when the light's off or, you know, he doesn't want to go wherever because he's gripped by this fear. And I think that same thing happens for 30, 40-year-olds when they're trying to enter a new market, start a new product, start their first thing, get their whatever, you know, all of these firsts or even the next ones are these constant opportunities to lean into this fear. I mean, that's what all salesmen go through. They're afraid of getting rejections so they don't make the calls that they need to make and they die in the vine. Really, if they would just say, okay, look, I'm going to decide this is what I have to do. I have the courage to go and do it. They're going to see unbelievable things happen for them. They won't get discouraged. They don't get down. They just, hey, this is part of the job. And if it's not and you just can't live with that, get out of sales. That's not the place you belong. It's the same thing with entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs are always juggling Unfortunately, very often they get out of doing the important work and just respond, 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 respond. And we work with business owners all the time like that to help them stop doing that. Teach your people to embrace the problem and to fix it. They don't have to come to you with everything. Create an environment where confidence is not just on the top, but you're developing that into your entire organization that they can go and do great things. And, and by the way, implicit in that is you must be able to fail. If you can't fail, the win is not worth anything. The success didn't mean anything. If you're playing a game and there's only one option, you can win. How much fun is that game? It doesn't create any investment is what I'm realizing. It doesn't create that ability to fail. The opportunity to fall off, to do whatever, creates you said that anxiety and excitement, it creates that excitement, right? I mean, I think they're culminating together. So it's a fascinating idea you bring up here. I mean, you think about it in terms of sports. You know, we just passed the Super Bowl. I don't follow sports, but just think about it. 
both teams go in the field knowing full well they better pay full out or they're going to lose. We have to take that same mindset into our business world. Yeah. Perhaps into everything that we do. Yes. Agreed. For me, what's most present is a parent and a, you know, a husband and a partner and all these things. Steve, I'm very grateful personally. I know our listeners are getting a ton. We've talked a lot about the personal side of the business. I'm curious, right after this break, I'd love to get into some of the more tactical things. You talked about customer experience and sales and stuff like that. And so perhaps there is a through line and I'm sure there is a through line, but we're going to get into a little bit more about the actual brass tactics right after this quick break. Hey guys, today's episode is brought to you by Amplify Media. We are a small group of genius makers. So if you have a mission, a message, something you want to get out to the world, but don't necessarily have the time or the technical skills to know out and do that, we are your saviors. And so if you want to find out how we can help, go to amplifymedia.com. That's A-M-P-L-A-F-Y media.com. You can check the show notes for info. But with that, let's get back to the episode. Steve, what I really enjoyed about just taking a look at your messaging and your mission and what you're putting out there to the world and what you seem to be helping your coaching clients with is that it seems to be pretty comprehensive isn't the right word that sounds incomplete and holistic sounds perhaps a little too woo woo. But am I off base in seeing that? Or do you try and speak to the person and the whole business because you're seeing that these things are connected? I mean, I, no, I think you're right on target. You have to be able to look at everything because there are things that one part's off, the other parts are going to be off. We don't live in a vacuum. Let me just give you a story on customer experience. You understand exactly what I mean. I love using these examples when entrepreneurs hear this. They, oh, I get it now. Let's say you're going to this restaurant and it's beautifully appointed. You walk in and wow, somebody really had some foresight in how to create this place because it's beautiful, it's calming, it's private. Everything about it is just great. You go and you sit down and the wait staff's unbelievable. They know when to come close and they know when to keep their distance so they're not getting into your space. And at the same time, they're available for you and if you need. You read the menu, everything is very reasonable priced and it sounds and looks delicious. And when it comes out and goes on your table, it looks better than it sounded in the menu and it tastes better than it looks, which is usually not the case in food. And you are just so excited about this restaurant. You can't wait to tell all your friends about it. Before you leave, you go to the bathroom, and the bathroom's filthy dirty. What just happened to your customer experience? You're not telling anybody about it. And actually, if somebody asks you about it, you'll say, yeah, it's a great restaurant, but go to the bathroom before you go there because it's horrible, right? And by the way, the same thing happens. You go to your mechanic, and you're stuck, and you have to go to the bathroom, and you're expecting who knows what that bathroom's going to look like. And you get in this nicely appointed. It's clean. It smells nice. It's beautiful. You give that guy credit for being a better mechanic, now, honestly, the bathroom experience has nothing to do with the dining experience or the mechanic experience. It has nothing to do with what you went there for, but it's a critical non-essential. It's not something that's part of the work, but you better have that done right. When you're working in a business and you're creating experiences for customers and clients, you need the customer and client experience to be that great like it was in the restaurant without having the thing that completely throws it out the window. And, and what I'm realizing, perhaps this is just me projecting too much on to my, you know, for my own experiences. I also came from the sales world, not necessarily the customer experience or customer service or like that side of the world. You sell, and because of the nature of our business, our job was done. Our job was to go and to find the next person to sell to because the fulfillment was either done by someone else or it was a physical product. So there was very limited in the at least as I'm thinking about it, we saw it limited in our experience, but there was so much more room to be able to make 
that experience so much better. We weren't thinking about it because we were off to the next sale. I think at the detriment of the relationship, of future sales. I completely agree. I mean, the salesman, when he finishes the sale, he should write a handwritten thank you card. When's the last time you got a handwritten thank you card in the mail? It takes a couple of minutes, but it's so appreciated and it's such a wow. And there's things you can do. I, I would keep in touch. If, you, if you're in a situation where you sold something to somebody or you help them buy, I like that much better than selling to, right? You help them buy. You started a relationship. What happens when you move on and you don't stay in touch with them, they're gone. So pop an email once every three months. How are you doing? I was just thinking about you. You know, just have some kind of follow-up because when you do that, it makes a very powerful connection. I'm actually reminded about an insurance guy I knew who was a very successful agent. He was making a million dollars a year. And he had a list of people he would call quarterly. He'd call somebody and try to get in to see them. They said, no, it's really not a good time. And say, listen, would you mind if I kept in touch with you every three to four months? Things have a way of changing. And he had a guy that he went back to for 16 times, four times a year, over four and a half years, something like that. Four, if it was 16, it was only be four years. And at the end of that last one, when he called, the guy said, you know what? I really got ticked off of my broker last week, and I want to speak to you. You're the only one who's kept in touch with me for all these years. Well, I got $50 million worth of assets from that call. But it's just because he had the persistence to keep it up, keep it up, keep it up, keep up the relationships. Now, calling people that don't really want to speak to you and you really don't want to speak to doesn't make sense. But there are people that you really do want to speak to and would make great clients. They just don't know it yet. So, yeah, why would you just blow through them? See, part of the problem is when you're creating a relationship with a client, most businesses and salespeople want to speak to the people that can buy today. If you waited till they're holding by buying, you're probably too late. Somebody already created a relationship. So find the people who are in the journey who don't know about your product or know about you and they find out about you and they learn about you. I just had a situation with a janitorial service that I'm working with, and she's probably one of the best I've ever seen. Priced accordingly, but awesomely good. So she told me she was thinking of sending postcards out to potential buildings. And I said, no, don't do that. And instead, we sent out file folders. And on the right side, there was three letters from references. On the left side, there was her 10 most important things to look for before hiring a janitorial service. On top of that was a job application form that was done in blue ink on her. And on top of that was a, a letter. And she just took that and addressed the file and sent it out. And the purpose for that was postcard comes in. I cut them up and I make bookmarks. People throw them out. No one's keeping them. But a file folder comes in and wow, that's a good packet. In case we need it, we're going to put it in our files. So I just got an email for today. The first set went out last week. She got a call today. And she was like, what? Unbelievable. And here's a building that's right in her neighborhood. Who knows? It could be thousands and thousands of dollars for her. And you know, she was concerned a little bit because the cost was a lot more to do it that way than send a postcard. But we're trying to get impact and results. And when people see that you're different and you're bringing something to value to them, the discussion's a different discussion. It's about service. Yeah. The word that I drew from you and I've heard other people say it too, and is experience, right? It's the experience. And when you think about it like that, it's not just a transaction. 100,000%. The reason Apple annihilated IBM was exactly for that. There's an experience in working with that company versus that company. Steve, this has been a fantastic conversation. And I'd love for you to share where people can get connected and go deeper in, into your stuff. But I have to bring this up too. You know, when we got connected, 
I thought you had like a Tom Cruise name. I was like, oh, Steve Lover. Like, who's this? Who's this guy? And is it Lover or is it, am I pronouncing it correctly? Oh, is it it's like Lover. It's Lover. Okay. And I can't even take credit for it because I inherited it from my father. Well, um, there you go. The, the he, best, knew, he knew the Tom Cruise move before uh, Tom did. The truth is about it. We don't really know where it came from. My guess is when my grandparents came in from Annalis Island in the late 1800s, the name was probably Lieber. And Lieber is German for lover. So they anglicized it. That's the best guess I have, but I have no way of knowing for sure. Wow. What a cool story anyways. What a cool story. So Steve, last question here. In your opinion, what is the secret to scaling a business? The real secret to scaling a business is uh, everybody knows the 80-20 rule. And if you don't real quickly, 20% of what you do produces 80% of the results. And 80% of the results of stuff you do is only producing 20% of the results. When you're looking to scale and grow your business, you have to look at your 80-20. Find out what the 20 is and do more of the 20 and get rid of more of the 80. And the more 80 you can get rid of, the more 20 you can do until that 20 becomes part of the new 80. Because you've grown and you've grown and you've grown. So the idea is if you're just looking to marginally grow your business so you can keep 80% the same, you only have to innovate 20%. If you're looking to seriously like 10x your business or really scaling it, so what you have to do is you have to find out with the 20% that makes sense. That's really what's causing the growth and completely get rid of the 80% and innovate to other things. And it's actually easier to do that because when somebody wants to double their business, they can work 10 times as hard, twice as hard. But to 10x your business, there's no way to work 10 times as hard. You don't have that much time or energy. So instead, you have to innovate. You have to find other people that you can bring in that can do things maybe better than you can and just work on your zone of genius. And if you can do that, now you're talking about really being able to scale a business in an incredible way. Such great advice here, Steve. And I know it's applicable to everybody, even mostly if you're not in sales and not for every other business. I think this is such great stuff to take home. Where can people go get connected with you? Where can they find more info about the coaching business and what it is that you're up to? Sure. The best place to contact me is LinkedIn. And if you type in Steve Lover, you'll get me. I think that the LinkedIn is your business coach. Is I think your dash business dash coach, I think is my URL. My website, Blue Mountain Business Academy. That's where I have my online course. You can find out a lot of information there. Or anybody can email me, steve at bluemountainbusinesscoaching.com. And I'd be happy to speak to anybody. Cool. Well, thank you guys for listening in. Steve, thank you for spending some time with us today. Go out re-listen this episode, I would encourage you to, and implement something and let us know how it goes. We'll see you on the next one, guys. Thanks a lot. It was nice to be with you. This was a pleasure. <laughs>